Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, episode 53, Sedna and Inuit Shapeshifters. Yeah, we're heading to someplace we haven't covered yet before. And the episode is exactly as cool as that title promises it will be. It is pretty awesome, in my opinion. So good. You know who else are awesome, Jules? Uh, Probably our patrons. Our new patrons, Nick and Marianne, as well as our supporting producer level patrons, Neil, Chandra, Philip, Dylan, Julie, Sarah, Christina, Robert, Lindsay, JST, Sandra, Eeyore, Deborah, Kimmo, Phil, Ryan, and Catherine. Oh, you guys rock. You're the coolest. I have a good one for the legends. I'm saving okay. it for them. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Julia, tell us about our legend level patrons. What, um, who are they? What do they do? Our legend level patrons are Leanne, Cassie, Cammie, Shannon, Aaron, and Ashley. And they are the cool reindeer shapeshifters of my heart. Uh, super true. Yeah. Super true. That would be a very cool tattoo, like a reindeer kind of, hey, reindeer period, but also a reindeer kind of shapeshifting. I'm pretty sure you thought reindeers weren't real a couple of weeks ago. Listen, <laughs> I just wanted to confirm that mythically horned animals are in fact real. After the narwhal, I don't even know what's real anymore. Oh, buddy, buddy, the narwhal's real. And it's not a horn, it's a tooth. Um, we, uh, you keep saying that about the tooth, Julie. It, it doesn't make it less fantastical it's to true, look at. Though. Uh, well, I, I was several drinks deep at the time. Uh, what were we drinking this episode? We had some toasty lager because it's cold outside and we want to keep it a little warm. Yeah. Alcohol's the best, man. It warms it from the inside. Drink yeah. responsibly, kids. Uh, we would love to thank this week, probably our most responsible sponsor. Good job. It's Tab for a Cause, which is a browser extension that lets you raise money for charity as you browse the web by when you open a new tab on your computer, just showing you a beautiful photo and also a little ad. And that ad raises money for charity. And it's amazing. And why wouldn't you do that? I don't know, but you can download it at tabforacause.com slash spirits. We'll be telling you more about it later. Do it up. Uh, many of you have tweeted at us, messaged us on Facebook, asked us on Tumblr, sent us emails written to our moms um, <laughs> looking for good book recommendations. Uh, I would suggest you check out our Goodreads group because we add stuff all the time to it. We do, we do. We add our favorite books that are about mythology, inspired by mythology, categorizing mythology. Um, I just got a couple new books as a sort of advanced holiday gift that I'm going to add into the group. So Ooh. in the description of this podcast, we have a link to all our social media, including our Goodreads, or you can just search Spirits Podcast on Goodreads. It's pretty easy to find. And, you know, this holiday season, I think it is really lovely to make donations in people's names as a gift for folks who don't need anything. Maybe they're minimalistic. Maybe, you know, you're agreeing to do a handmade or a low cost um, holiday this year. But I really love making donations. I bought my uncle a goat one time, like the donation of a I goat. I remember this. Uh, and and he, he found it really, uh, really adorable. Heifer International. I really recommend it. Um, but if you want to maybe make someone that you love a patron, you can do that. You can give them a gift card or give them some cash or, you know, help walk them through the process of signing up for Patreon. Or you can give the gift of support to your favorite indie creators, whether or not we're on that list. I think it's really, really lovely to um, to give to and pay for media that you really care about. So, you know, consider that as you're thinking about your gifts. Yeah. And if you give a Patreon donation as a gift in someone else's name, let us know and we'll give them a special shout out in the episode. Yay. Easy peasy. 
And it's a little gift for them. They'll hear our voice and they'll be like, oh my God, Amanda and Julia said my name. We totally did. It's adorable. Aw. We also actually do sponsorships. So if you have a business or someone that you love has a business and you want to arrange a sponsorship of spirits for them, email us, spiritspodcast at gmail. That would be super cool. Yay. Well, Julia, we need to start packing for PodCon, which we are going to next week in Seattle. PodCon! Can't wait. So uh, without further ado, I will let you guys enjoy the tundra of Spirits Podcast, episode 53, Sedna and Inuit Shapeshifters. So Amanda, this week I want to talk about duality. Ooh. It's not often that we start off the episode with me stating what the theme is going to be, but this is, um, we're going to first hit off a new, uh, tradition and new mythology that we haven't touched on before. (gasps) And I found a couple of stories in that mythology that I thought fit the bill for this theme. So I wanted to start off with the theme and then get to the stories. I'm stoked. Uh, so we're actually going to be talking about some stories from Inuit mythology. (gasps) Yay. We haven't done any, uh, first nations or uh, native American stuff. So I thought that was a good place to start. And so what we're going to start with is one of my favorite stories. Um, how a woman becomes the mistress of the sea and lady of the underworld. Uh, I am taking notes. Let's do it. Yeah, I know. It's dream goals. So let me tell you a story, Amanda. Anytime, babe. (laughs) There once was a woman named Sedna. Uh, In some stories, she's a giant, but what you need to know is she lived in the Arctic with her mother and father, whom she loved very much. Her father was a hunter, a great hunter, uh, so her family always had plenty of food and warm furs to wear. Because she was so comfortable at her home, Sedna refused to marry and leave the comfort of that home. Many men tried to come to the family, desiring to take Sedna as a wife and asking her parents, but Sedna refused them all. All right. Good start. Good start. goals. Yeah. (laughs) Her parents eventually uh, demanded that it was time for her to marry, uh, but she refused to obey. One day, a man came to Sedna. He promised her a life of comfort, foods to eat, furs for clothes and blankets. Sedna agreed to marry him. And once they became man and wife, he took her away to his island. Hmm. Smells like a sea god. Not a sea god. (laughs) Good try, though. (laughs) From all the stories that I've told you so far, it wouldn't be surprising if this guy was a sea god. Yeah. Um, But I will tell you, it is something we have seen before. But I'm not going to spoil it right away. All right. Um, It was there, once they were alone, that he revealed himself that he was not a man at all. But a bird dressed up as a man. Classic bird husband. It's always a bird husband. What kind of bird? They don't specify in a couple of different versions. It's like a gull or, you know, just a bird that's native to the area at the time. I see. Yeah. Um, so Sedna is pissed off. Of yeah. Of course. False advertising. Uh, but she's married to him and on an island with no way of getting off. So she makes the best of it. Okay. Uh, but because he's a bird, it means he's actually not a great hunter, like he said, and can't provide her with furs and such to keep warm. All the bird man can really do is catch fish. Oh, no. And uh, after a while, fish can get really annoying and Sedna gets really sick of it. Oh. Uh, because when you have too much of a mediocre thing, you learn to hate that thing. Yeah, word. And he also specifically promised furs and good food. Yeah. One would assume that that wouldn't just be fish. Can't keep warm with fish skin, I don't think. You can't keep warm with fish skin. <laughs> just sounds sounds like a motivational blog post title. <laughs> you know, like like you're counseling a girlfriend, like, I know it really sucks, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. but, you know, can't keep warm with fish skin, girl. You gotta, like, take care of yourself. 
I love it. I want it like on a poster with uh, some, I don't know, some ocean in the background being like, well, you can't keep warm with fish skin. I mean, unless, unless like that suits you specifically and you're a fish, we're getting too deep into this. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Her father comes to visit her after she and her husband have been married for a while. Nice. Uh, The father sees that his daughter is not happy and that her husband had lied to her and to them, like lied to her and the family. Mm hmm. Uh, he kills the Birdman for disrespecting and lying to his family and escorts Sedna off the island. Whoa. It escalates very quickly. That did escalate very quickly. Like, it escalates even further from here. Oh, bad. Uh, so they get into his kayak to go home, but the Birdman's friends have discovered that uh, he has murdered their friend, right. basically. Are they um, also bird husbands? They're not bird husbands. They're just bird friends. Okay. <laughs> they want revenge. Okay. Obviously. So they fly above the kayak and they flap their wings very hard, which causes a huge storm. Wow. Uh, the waves crash over the kayak, making it nearly impossible to keep the boat upright. Sedna's father is frightened by the storm and worries that it will fill the kayak with water and he will drown in the icy waters. So naturally, he figures that if there's less weight in the boat, no. uh, there's a better chance that he'll survive. So what he does is he throws Sedna overboard. No, but, he should jump overboard instead. Yeah, well, but Sedna's a tough girl. She spent a year or so living in this shit show with a bird husband. So That's she's, true. she's developed thick skin, so to speak. Um, Sedna's survival instincts kick in and she clings to the edge of her father's boat. Fearing that his daughter will tip it, the father cuts her fingers off one at a time. No! But as he does this, and they fall into the water, a different sea creature is born and emerges from it. Whoa. Uh, they become, this is a roller coaster, Julia. <laughs> like I said, it escalates quickly. So they become fish, seals, walruses, whales, all that kind of stuff. And is this the introduction of those creatures to the sea? Yes. Aww. She becomes the mother of those creatures. That's Aww. great. Um, so Sedna finally falls from the boat when the last finger is cut, sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Does she die? Uh, no. Instead, she becomes a powerful spirit and her home emerges from the ocean floor. Yay! I know. It's so good. Um, I mean, like, I'm sorry. That's awful. Your father sounds like he had the wrong impulse under mort- mort- mortal fear. Yeah. But, uh, that's pretty dope. I mean... I'd take I'd take getting my fingers cut off, I guess, in order to become a goddess of the ocean. As long as they grow back. They don't. <laughs> they don't in her situation. She does not have fingers. Julie just had the look on her face like a parent who says, yeah, no, we uh, we we flushed Sammy down to the ocean to be with the other fish. Oh, OK, <laughs> someone speaking from experience. Yeah, my African water frogs did not live for 10 years. You had African water frogs? I did, Dang. because as a sad, sad child allergic to the world, those are the only pets that Connor and I could have. That's adorable. <laughs> I'm sorry you were allergic to everything that was fluffy and cute. Yeah, yep. Um, so Sedna becomes a powerful water spirit. Um, it is said that if you see her now, she has the head and torso of a woman and the tail of a fish. Ooh. So traditional mermaid style. Yeah. Kind of nice. I'm into it. That's I like that animal human fusion I can get behind. Yeah. And I like that that's such a universal thing. Like water spirit, yeah. you know, body of a human, but also tail of a fish. I mean, pretty well, convenient. Like you see fish swimming and you're like, damn, you guys figured it out, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, oh, side note. Yes. I took the train to Long Beach the other day and I saw a man on the train. It was like 50 degrees out. It was, it was quite chilly. Um, and he was carrying, he's like a grown man with like intense Oakley sunglasses on okay. carrying a backpack with a flip flop in each water bottle pocket, which I just thought was so adorable and great. Uh, and then a pair of flippers in his hands and nothing else. 
dope. It was like eight in the morning. Like he, he was, he was so on many a questions. mission. <laughs> he was going there from somewhere or coming home from somewhere. I don't know. And just carrying flippers. And like, what are like the backpack wasn't big enough to have a wetsuit and you would need a wetsuit to swim that day. So like, what were you doing, bro? Was it enough to hold a wetsuit if you rolled up the wetsuit? I don't think so. All right. Dang. Anyway, I have so many questions. Sedna is able to control all the animals in the sea. And so keeping Sedna happy means she will allow the animals to make themselves available to hunters. Oh, okay. So the hunters, if Sedna's not happy, hunters starve. Yeah. So if hunters do not catch anything for a long time, the spiritual leader of the tribe will transform themselves into a fish. And in this form, they swim down to the bottom of the sea to appease Sedna. You want to guess how the, how one would appease Sedna? Mm, bringing her stuff no um, it's a really specific thing actually all right i don't know uh so they comb the tangles out of her hair Aww. and put them into braids that's amazing which any i feel like this is a universal thing all women like other people playing with their hair uh maybe not all but many of us I think. many of us enjoy that yeah. i feel like it is it is definitely a thing and you can achieve better braids with other folks assistance and you can on your own 100 accurate also the reason sedna needs someone to help her braid and detangle her hair oh no because she, she has doesn't no fingers. have fingers yeah. oh i would have forgotten that part if you hadn't mentioned it yeah sorry but i i love that so much like as a ritual instead of needing to like go conquer a thing or kill a demon or like bring a sacrifice you just like go down there spend some quality time like do something nice for her that's pretty calming yeah hopefully low stakes even though the stakes are like starvation of your people uh, you know people that is so unique yeah i really like it i think it's actually fairly sweet and do the leaders transform back into people when they get there so yeah. they can yeah because they need fingers they otherwise they have fish. to have a like elaborate collaboration with other people to like have each fish have a strand of hair <laughs> oh that's funny it's a really rather sweet story uh of course there's another version of it or at least another ending Uh-oh. that is less sweet uh Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so in this other version, Senna does not float to the bottom of the sea. Uh, The birdmen see her go under and stop the storm and fly away. Her father then helps Sedna back into the boat after cutting off all her fingers still. Uh, But Sedna has been betrayed. She's grown to hate him and she swears bitter revenge. Okay. Because naturally. Of course she would. When they get ashore, she calls her dogs to him and orders them to gnaw off the feet and hands of her father while he sleeps. Yikes. Uh, The father wakes up, obviously, because once your (laughs) feet and hands are getting gnawed off, you do wake up. Yeah. Uh, he puts a curse on them, whereupon the earth opens up and swallows everyone inside the hut in which they were staying at, taking them to the land of Ad Livon, which is the underworld. Whoa. It's the name for those who occupy that space and also the underworld itself. Right. It means those who lie beneath us or something like that. Wow. Um, so Sedna becomes the mistress of the underworld and it's said to imprison the souls of the living as part of preparation for the next stage of their journey to the underworld. Wow. And that's really interesting and distinct from the last kind of underworld scenario we talked about, or the last two being, um, the Egyptian underworld. And then also the kind of classical Greek, um, conception of the sea, you know, the earth and the underworld being like totally separate dominion. Like, I I love that she's associated with both the underworld and the sea. I feel like you don't see that, uh, very often. It's really nice, actually. And it's really interesting to 
too, because when I tell you a little bit more about their underworld, it's very distinct to the culture itself. So in uh, Inuit culture, the dead were traditionally wrapped in caribou skin and then buried. Uh, And during the three days of mourning, mourners ritualistically would circle the grave three times, promising venison to the spirit, which was then brought to the grave when visited. Makes sense. So Adlevan is said to be located beneath the land and the sea, but it's in certain stories, it's also north of, you know, the territories that are occupied by the Hmm. Inuit people. Um, The souls of the dead are purified in Adlevan. Uh, in preparation for their travel to the land of the moon where they will have eternal rest and peace. Wow, that's really beautiful. really beautiful. Yeah. I really like that. Uh, Adlevan is typically described as a frozen wasteland, which is why it's usually uh, occupied north of wherever they are. And why you need caribou skin. Yeah, exactly. It gets cold there. Uh, and one is sometimes said to be able to travel to the area by heading too far north. Wow. Yeah. Man. And that becomes more prominent in the story that I'm going to tell you next, because there's sort of the north is where the line between the mortal world and the spirit world starts to get a little bit hazy. I love that so much. And it's, it's also reminds me of my favorite image from, um, a wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin, um, which is like one of my favorite fantasy books of all time. They're wonderful. And it's yeah. one of the few ones where the main characters are people of color yes. in a fantasy world. And yes. it's wonderful. And in the second book, um, a girl as well, which mm-hmm. is just incredible. Uh, and I, I loved as a kid, but anyway, the, the sort of idea is like you sail to an un, uh, kind of unworldly otherworldly place um, by just going east and east and east farther than the maps farther than the oceans like farther than any person thought that a person could sail mm-hmm. uh, and that idea of the the line between the otherworldly and the the land of the mortals being fuzzy mm-hmm. is just so interesting to I me i love that a lot i love it tolkien kind of did that a little bit too so talking about that kind of existing between two worlds and the duality of that, yeah. uh, the next story I want to talk about is the uh, shapeshifter called the Ijarak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in North Baffin dialect, Ijarak literally means shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. Like we're just going to straight direct uh, translation there. It means shapeshifter, which mm-hmm. is great. I love it when a translation is straight to the point. Yeah. Like that's what that is. Yeah. Uh, Ijarak were able to appear in any form that it would choose, uh, which makes it particularly deceitful. Uh, the Ijarak was known to kidnap children, hide them away, and then abandon them. Wow. Did it have a true form or was it like a human that could shapeshift or it's just like um, uh, Bogart style, like, uh, you know, a Schrodinger's box of a spirit? I think it's a Bogart style. It's a monstrous spirit, but is a shapeshifter specifically. Oh, got it. Um, and there are like subcategories of the Ijarak. I'll talk about one later uh, where they have a specific form, but huh. the Ijarak in general, can take any shape it wants. Got it. So when the Inuit are hunting in an area that they know that the Ijarak inhabits, they will often report seeing figures out of the corner of their eyes just for a brief moment. Ah. So going back to that Bogart style, just kind of a shadowy figure at yeah. the corner or of your eye. Or the pasta loves that kind of stuff. They do. Uh, and so this is because, like you said, uh, if you look at an Ijarak directly when they have no specific form they're completely elusive you oh. cannot see them if you look directly at them isn't that so fucking cool or I those big headed monsters on doctor who what was that season 12 the or, silence or the second doctor yeah the silence yeah, i remember yeah, which one you're talking about yikes <laughs> you had season 12 and then the second doctor i was like whoa <laughs> whiplash there <laughs> 12 doctor season two of him uh it was the 11th doctor season two of him it was matt 
What, whatever his name the is. the 11th doctor. Oh, that's right. Because 10 was. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I'm a fake nerd girl. It's okay. I love you anyway. Thank you. The fact that we can't look directly at them has to do with the fact that the Igerate, which is the plural of Igerac. Yeah. Uh, inhabit a place between two worlds. So they're not quite inside our world, nor do they exist completely outside of it. Ooh. Um, a lot of their mythology comes out of the idea that the Inuit believe that if someone went too far north, like I was saying, um, they would become trapped between the world of the dead and the world of the living and would become themselves Idrat. And is that the origin of all of them or just people who have wandered too far? Uh, I don't know if that's the origin of all of them. Right. Uh, but it's I like- didn't get too much origin story out of the Idrat, but uh, yeah, it's it's how more are formed. That's a possibility. Wow. That's a, and, and it's sort of, uh, to my mind, I immediately assume that the sort of narrative here is that the, you know, lost souls who went too far North are trying to return back to home. But since their bodies have either perished or are trapped, you know, in the, in the other world, um, they kind of keep like, like buffering into animals. You know what I mean? Like, like or they, they have to take a form, but only for a little while. And then it kind of dissolves. Like their, their very, you know, essence is like unstable, like an atom. Kind of like Mr. Smith in the second matrix movie. Uh, yes. Just a lot of weird shit going on. Yes. Uh, and they're not able to form properly because they've been damaged in some way. Yeah. I like that. My mind goes to computer stuff, right? Where Mm -hmm. like it's trying to render a form Mm -hmm. in the like computer sense of the word. Um, but it it can't fully. And I, or, or like kind of popping into, you know, just popping into something like, no, that's not right. Or no, it won't stick. And like, what a, what an existence. Like super glitchy. I like, yeah. Ooh, that was, that was a, Good analogy, Amanda. Great job. Thank you. you. So this borderland between the living and the dead, that's the Ajarax home, uh, though they've been known to spread further south. Uh, It is said that people who visit this land will become cursed and lose their way no matter how skilled a tracker they are or how familiar they are with that land. Wow. Um, there's a story about a man and a woman who stumbled upon a small peninsula while hunting. And the man, despite being a renowned navigator, was completely lost. They, across from the peninsula, were able to see the camp that they made and their children, but they struggled to find their way back despite being able to see the camp and seeing the path back. Oh, God. Uh, They arrived just in time to see that a polar bear is circling the children ready to devour them, Uh, but they managed to chase the bear off. Some people say that the polar bear is an Ijarak who is hoping that their magic would be able to provide them with an unprotected batch of children. Wow. Yeah. That's an intense story. Can, Can you imagine, like... That that's like every horror movie's kind of nightmare where you're you're following a path and then you're like all of a sudden like we passed that tree already. It looks like that weird shape. So I remember it and just getting completely lost. Yeah. Or you're outside a home or, you know, have no voice and your friends are kind of just out of of like, you know, your your arms reach. Right. And you Mm -hmm. can't signal to them. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Mountains of the Mind by Robert McFarlane, Mm. which is about um, the history of mountaineering and also the history of like mountains as a thing that human beings have wanted to conquer. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Like it was only into the kind of late 1600s that people started thinking of mountains as like a thing instead of just like a thing in the way of the horizon. um, Sure. And and some sort of stuff in their own right. And they're really fascinating theories about how like uh, after the flood, like the, the crust of the earth, you know, kind of smashed against each other. That's how mountains were formed like all kinds of sort of theological explanations. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, this whole idea of mountains as, as having, or any kind of extreme landscape, its own allure and like a magnetic pull to people. And this just kind of human urge to like get to the extreme place and to 
conquer something that shouldn't be conquerable by, by humans. Um, it's just, it's so interesting and ingrained and it's a great book. But anyway, that idea of like, at a certain point, the land just repels people and it seems almost conscious, you know, like almost as if it's, you know, two, two north ends of a magnet repelling each other or something. Mm -hmm. It's just something that I find really, really fascinating. It's a really, really cool concept. And it's, it's such an embodiment of human, you know, not ingenuity, but like hum like the human condition. Yes. Yes. And our desire to just do whatever we want because we can, that sort of thing. Yeah. You like to do, I mean? to do what, what we shouldn't be able to. Yes, basically. Um, so do we want to get back to the story? Fine. Or, uh, actually we could use a refill. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's go. Okay. All right, Jules, it's time for another uh, lager, which I super enjoy. And also to tell our listeners about our sponsor this week. Uh, yeah, we are sponsored this week by Tab for a Cause. It is a browser extension that shows you a pretty photo when you open a new tab and also an ad. And that ad raises money for a charity. Yeah, you keep doing your thing on the Internet like you normally do, just doing your stuff. And when you would normally open up a tab and nothing happens or it shows you like bookmarks and click Facebook or, or like whatever, Google or whatever, uh, whatever, who cares? Just do it in the, in the URL. Bar, uh, you can instead raise money for a good cause. Like, that's amazing. Why would you not do that? It's super easy. You're doing something good for the world. It's great. And it's like a low memory, kind of low impact extension. I'm like a power user of Google Chrome. I have tons of extensions that do all kinds of things to my internet browsing. And this one like doesn't slow me down one bit. I also shamefully have at least 20 tabs open on my computer at all times. Oh, yeah. So I would be raising a shit ton of money if I was uh, using tab for a cause. And they have a little clock for you, too. Like, they really think about making this tab like beautiful and also practical. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just like an idea where you think to yourself like how how has this not happened already yeah so we're issuing a challenge for you we are we're going to see how much money team spirits can raise between now and the end of the year yes the good good folks at tab for a cause are going to be giving us reports on how much money uh people who sign up using our referral link raise for charity again no donation from you just from the magic of ads so if you go to tab for a cause.com spirits you can install the extension get that race going and we will be so grateful. And the people who are getting these donations via these ads will also be grateful. And everyone wins. And it's the time of the season where you should be giving anyway. So. And it's like my favorite kind of giving, which requires nothing from me. Good job. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, let's get back to the episode. All right. So going back to the stories where they steal children away, uh, this seems to be another one of those typical boogeyman creatures that we've seen many times in mythology, going yes. back to the bugbear or the Kelpies or any sort of murder horse. Uh, fan art request, <laughs> an adorable version of all our children stealers. Oh, the Aswang, no. Ijirak. Who else do we have? Uh, Various fey Kelpies. Um, Changelings, I guess. Mm, changelings are just kind of like waiting yeah waiting to be replaced anyway i just think it'd be really cute <laughs> it would be adorable to talk, highlight talk. all of these giant children stealers but okay yeah but, but just like just like a kawaii version i think it'd be really great <laughs> a kawaii version you're the worst okay 
Um, so elders in Inuit culture will warn children about traveling on their own as the Idurait will uh, wait for lone travelers and will change shape to win their favor. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, it's like the horse thing. Yeah. Children want to play with horses and then they get stick and then they stick to them and then they're drowned and devoured, <laughs> you know, classic. But yeah, like travel alone and you'll see something that will either scare you or entice you and, and, you know, make you kind of wander to your death. Yeah, basically. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, so it's said that if one encounters an Idurat, uh, they will lose their memory, uh, and they will forget details of the experience after a short amount of time. Ugh. Uh, one way of recognizing an Idurek is from their red eyes, which stay red no matter what form they're in. <laughs> yeah, this is, you know, classic demon stuff. I know. And I think we've talked about in the past as well, maybe with Biave, of the significance of the color red and just how how much it does stand out in that tundra landscape. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. And it's it's just there's something like primal that sees that as a, a danger color. Ooh, I'm curious if that's... You know, it has to have come from somewhere. I'm curious if that was like a sign of uh, albinism in nature. Just seeing a white caribou with glowing red eyes, that would be super creepy. Yeah, and kind of blend in with the surroundings if it were, you know, kind of snowy tundra in a way that would seem like it was not if it was just moving out of the corner of your eye. That's super weird. Mm. Oh, dang. That was a good point. So children who managed to convince the Idurak to let them go could find their way back by using stone markers that were used for navigating known as Inuksuk, uh, which are put in forests and plains as markers of area with few natural landmarks. So imagine you're yeah, on yeah, the yeah. tundra. Uh, if you see a rock, that's going to be your pointer uh, in order to get you back to where you need to be. Makes total sense. And it's a great example of the fact that um, Native peoples had way more infrastructure than Western culture likes to give them credit for. Exactly. Uh, And it's also giving these children a lot of credit because they learn these things very early on and they have to have some sort of independence in order to go out into the wilderness and hopefully not get lost. Yeah. And and also to um, to have a kind of example of how ingenuity can you know, let you return home safely. There's lots of examples in, you know, fairy tales that we grew up hearing about, um, you know, you can sweet talk a monster or you can lie to a monster or trick a monster. monster. Um, And then follow your breadcrumbs home. Right. But the idea that like being just a studious person who who, like knows the the roots and knows how to do it um, and that your kind of practical knowledge can also guide you home. I don't know, as a person who's always felt way more um, like practical than I do witty, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it it is really nice for me to kind of have an example of like, no, like if you pay attention to your grandpa and your tracking lessons and and you freaking learn the road markers, like you're going to get home safe. Uh, that is true. Uh, it's always good to pay attention to your grandpa <laughs> in any story, in any context. Yes. Even if your grandpa is trying to scare you into uh, thinking that he's a skeleton living in a tree. Yeah. Uh, shout out hometown urban legends one. Still haven't gotten over that one. It's so freaking good. The bloody bones. Oh my God. Oh, love that story. I, that grandpa. Goddamn legend. <laughs> one of the specific forms that an Idurak can take is known as the Tareksuk, which is a shapeshifter, but it appears in its natural form as a half man, half caribou. I know it's your favorite thing, half animal, half person. What's the configuration here? Um, I don't know. I'll have to look up a photo later. But Maybe centaur style, like torso n- man. No, not centaur style. I think it's kind of like Prisoner of Askin movie version of the werewolf. 
uh, but caribou style, kind of like hulking figure, longer arms in the front. Oh. So it's kind of like curved like that. Great. So the most possible horrifying. Yes, version. exactly. Nice. I Great. just assume the most horrifying <laughs> for your benefit. Good. So like mid transformation man to caribou. Yes. Excellent. Not gonna be sleeping the, tonight. the Animorphs like <laughs> diagram. It's about the third or fourth one in. Awesome. <laughs> Which is always the most terrifying one. <laughs> Do you ever think about at what point in the human to wearable transition you'd like to stop? Like if you had to choose one that wasn't one or the other? I would stop right before wolf. Yeah, same. Good. That's the only okay. correct answer. Well, no, I think... I think Or like very hairy person. Yeah. I right. think you could go... You could go like Dyson from Lost Girl Wolf style or Teen Wolf style, right? Where it's not terrible, yeah. or you can go slightly human wolf. So it's like anywhere human in between those is not the, a good choice. That's the nether world. Yeah, that's not a good place. That's that's when it goes full horror movie, and you're like, yeah. oh, okay, that's why no one wants to be a werewolf. Yeah, and I think like the other two options is like, oh, that's fine. Like I'm cool with that. And like in in the way that all supernaturalism can be viewed as a lens for like difference in human beings. I get that that's a somewhat problematic statement, right? That like you need to be one or the other with like a, a whiff of the, of the, the different. And that makes you like exotic or like sure. that shit's bad. And you know, as a person in the middle of the Kinsey scale, like totally middle is, is great. Yeah. Um, but if I had to choose between human and wolf, I think I would choose like, like just smarter than the other wolves, maybe with thumbs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think larger, smarter wolf is the way to go on yeah. the scale of human to wolf. Yeah. Just be like the best, most terrifying pet. <laughs> I don't want to be anyone's pet if I'm a wolf. Yeah. But everyone knows and you can just like be part of the family. Then you go out kind of serious black as the, as the dog style yes. and, and be like, and as a uh, Mike Schubert from the Potterless podcast pointed out, that's super dumb of him to have gone out in wolf form into public. Oh yeah. Whatever. No, it's like or the riskiest form. behavior of all time. Yes. Like serious. I'm sure you, you would have been a great guardian in your mind, but maybe if not. If you hadn't gone to yeah. wizard prison when you were 19 <sighs> or 21 or however the fuck old he was at that not point. Not very old. It was like 20, they were early very 20s. young to have a newborn. They yeah. were. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Lily and James's family planning aside. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about, wow, I am like five years older than they are when they died and had a baby, but whatever. <laughs> yep. All right. Moving on. So the Tarak Suk uh, is usually associated with shadows, invisibility and obscurity. And they're also known as the shadow people. Amazing. Yes. Already good. Uh, they are one of those creatures that is a shapeshifter that can blend in with human society as a normal human being. Uh, kind of like the a swong. Terrifying. Yeah. Great. Uh, they have houses, they have families, weapons, tools, etc. cetera. Uh, but how do you tell the shapeshifter is not a real person is the real question. Yeah. Which I'm sure all the Inuit people were wondering. And they don't have red eyes uh, necessarily? Well, not necessarily, but we'll see. So the key to it is just look straight at them. <gasps> Uh, they're not visible if you look directly at them, much like the Idrak. Uh, they either disappear into the separate spirit world that they can occupy apart from the, uh, our own, or they are only seen as the shadow that their body casts. Wow. Yeah. So they only become fully visible when they're killed. Uh, all parts of that are amazing. Yeah. I love that, like, the true form is revealed in death. Like, that's just yes. really poetic and interesting. And it's also really interesting because they're supposed to occupy both our world and the right. spirit world to some extent. Yeah. And it's amazing that they only become a part of our world in death. Absolutely. Right. Like, they, that's, that's the fundamental 
uh, I don't know, struggle or, or like impossibility of them is that they, they can't exist in both until they're dead. Yeah. It really is like Schrodinger's, uh, yes. uh spirit form. <laughs> Schrodinger's spirit form. I like that. But like, let's just interrogate that for a second. Like thinking about, you know, a, a, a village or a town, how, how does one get through life without being looked at directly? Cause like, that is my goal. I want no one to look at me directly ever. I just want to be able to like have my hair slightly askew and, and like a, a weird resting face and just no one ever look at me. So I actually, I just finished, uh, John Hodgman's Vacation Land talks a lot about uh, living in Maine during his summers yeah. and how uh, most Maine people's uh, goal in life is to never have to interact with another human being as long as they live. Uh, I identify so hard with that. <laughs> I know, me too. Um, and I just think about if the Inuit culture is anything like the Maine culture, <laughs> one can get through life without being looked at directly. Yeah. So I imagine that it's it's a cultural thing. You know, you and I can sit across this table and look directly at each other as we talk. Right. But I personally, I struggle with when I'm meeting new people and I'm having like a conversation with them. I struggle to meet their eyes and, you know, be able to look at them as I talk and open myself up to them. Um, so I think that's definitely... You know, I guess it depends on the cultural thing, but we're as a culture, we're expected to look directly at a person when we're having a conversation with them because right. it's supposed to be engaging. But I don't think all cultures are like that. No. And for some people, meeting eyes is really intimate or it's mm -hmm. really aggressive or it's just, you know, not a thing that you do with strangers. Um, and you can also, I guess, like discourage that by, you know, not holding eye contact with other people, you mm -hmm. know, and just kind of letting, uh, you know, letting that become kind of normal for you. But I don't know, my mind flashed immediately to like, you know, Salem during witch trial yeah. eras where like you would go to church and you would look at every single person in that church and think like, you know, who is here, who is not, who looks suspicious, who's, you know, uh, light was on late in there, you know, candles burning in their farmhouse last night. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't know, just the, the like, uh, gossipy insular sort of like, uh, I don't know, violence brewing just under the surface nature of a small town. Like that is just a trope that I find really, um, I don't know, fascinating. I'm sure it wasn't like that at all, but that's just where my mind went. No, I, and I totally agree. I think that it, in certain stories like this and with the Aswang, um, it's, there's a reason that these stories are being told and there's a reason that, you know, community has to be close knit. And if there's an outsider, we have to discover it right away. Yeah. There's no scarier, um, I don't know, trope to me. I know that's a strong statement than the like outsider among us. Right. Um, and I think it's really interesting when we're talking about duality because I, I super like this concept. It's the idea that a creature can occupy our world, have a family, be part of the community, but also truly not be there. Yeah. Uh, and it reminds me of the news whenever, you know, like a serial killer or something pops up in the news and the community comes out as shocked. Right. Like, oh, they were so quiet. Oh, they never bothered anyone. I thought they were a nice person, that kind of thing. Um, it's not until they commit this horrible atrocity or crime that uh, you see the real them. And it's really, really interesting, especially when we're talking about this creature that occupies both spaces yeah. and is able to be dualistic and occupy both of these things at once. Like that is a that is a scary thing and you only know in death which which one it was. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting that in death you only know which one you know, which world it's truly supposed to occupy. And that goes back to your only, you only know that the Tarek is a Tarek when it's dead. Right. So when, when the town finally 
finds out it's committed atrocities or it finds out that, you know, the children are lost because of it or something like that, that's when the community has that information and anything before that, it could be that witch hunt like Salem, you know, right. understanding that there's someone among us that isn't supposed to be. That's a, such a scary thought. On the other hand, that thought is a lot easier to hold than the fact that people can be both, that yes. someone can be, you know, a great uh, parent or spouse or community member or be nice to old ladies, you know, or like volunteer with the Rotary Club and also, you know, be an abuser or yeah. commit crimes or, you know, be a, a con man uh, living a, a different life. Mm -hmm. And it is it is very hard to like reconcile those two things, yes. you know. So on the one hand, like it makes so much sense that the the like difficulty of that situation is represented in this myth, but also that there is that kind of, you know, not a storybook ending necessarily, but there is a, a, some amount of certainty to it yeah. where you say like, finally in death, the truth is revealed, yeah. you know, or finally witch trials, you know, the, the judgment has been passed, the deed is done. Now we know, mm -hmm. um, when, you know, in, in life there are so few certainties. Right. And in life, you know, it's sort of the situation where you don't know what someone is capable of or their thought process until they do something that makes you think like, oh, oh, they're not just a normal person or, oh, they're, they're not who I thought they were. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, the, one of the modern kind of versions of this, uh, would be the kind of psychopath, sociopath, mm -hmm. um, type narrative, which I use it with kind of like scare quotes because yes. they're, those terms are somewhat problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, but this idea that there is, you know, walking among us and looks just like us and, you know, could right. be your boss or neighbor or whatever. That very eighties, eighties uh, yeah, yeah. hype. Exactly. And I mean like, you know, serial killer narratives, the, you know, Dexter's, of the world, um, you know, they're so popular and like, mm -hmm. it's, it's there in like every single police procedural, like every other week, there's mm -hmm. some kind of version of this narrative. And I love it too. You know, yeah. I watched Mindhunter on Netflix for eight hours straight because yeah. the idea of, you know, people who look, speak, um, and act just like us until they don't, there's something really fascinating about it, but that's an example of like a modern myth, a modern duality, um, that I, you know, see as being linked to these actually much more interesting stories. Yeah. And that's why people, just eat up true crime. Yeah. People fucking love true crime. And I think it's for that reason. Exactly. It's, you never know someone is capable of all these things, but you never know who it is. Could be your neighbor, could be your loved one. It's like the dirty John, uh, podcast that yeah. came out recently. That was pretty fucking terrifying in my opinion, it as was. someone who is planning on getting married <laughs> soon. <laughs> but I, I think that that's the interesting part about duality is because you never know. People are capable of such good things and such bad things, and you don't know what those levels of good and bad are until they're committed. And there's like, there's so much, like I could, I could do a whole PhD on duality. Like mm -hmm. it's just one of my, one of my most favorite subjects to talk and think and write about. Um, in that like duality is potential, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's all of the things that you could be worlds you could walk in, mm -hmm. you know, behaviors or ways of being that you could, that you could do. Mm -hmm. It's also about code switching, right? It's about existing in spaces that should be opposing or should be kind of mutually exclusive, but instead you can do both. And like, there's something again, all of us operate in different worlds to some extent, all of us, you know, speak or act or dress a little bit differently, depending on what world we're going into. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can take that to like the most extreme of 
living double lives or living between the living and the dead. And I just see that as being such a like human thing to think about, wonder about, you know, kind of speculate what it would be like to live that sort of life. Um, and, and finally, like I said earlier, the kind of idea of the underworlds or death as being not completely sealed off from us, mm -hmm. not a different realm that you have to like go through a number of rituals to get to, but kind of just beyond your field of vision. That you could stumble upon at any moment. Yeah. Like just beyond the safe area, you know, of your town or in your mm -hmm. map, um, of being kind of coexisting in a body mm -hmm. near yours, yeah. of a hand that you shake or a person's establishment that you walk into. Mm -hmm. Like it is just thrilling um in a way that is like so different from the conceptions of of death in the afterworld afterworld afterlife underworld uh, that we have talked and thought about before yeah i'm i'm vaguely reminded of stranger things if only because i am in the middle of watching season two at the moment yeah and this idea that you know these two worlds can exist and you know the veil in which they are separated is so thin at places yes. that one can just stumble upon it like fucking nancy and jonathan in the woods in first the first season you can exactly. just stumble upon it and be taken to this world that is not your own where danger lurks at any moment and that's kind of this beautiful identity of both human beings and the world we live in in general yeah and uh like the multiverse theory like whenever i think too much about multiverses uh my my brain fucking explodes yep, but no, i try not to think about it too much i, I know right <laughs> like i have to i have to like put aside time each month to like just consider the fact of the multiverse and then and then like go back to my normal life mm -hmm. um but it, it's it's fascinating it's just the the i don't know the strange is so much closer than we think it is yes Ugh. And that's I what it. I love about mythology. The strange it. is so much closer than we think it is. Yeah. And it's, and it's a, a way, it's a way that we can reckon with stuff that is too big for our brains to reckon with. Yeah. Oh, dang. And you know, there could be a Tarak among you, um, or an at any time or an Atrak and you never know. Uh, but I think the one thing that you can definitely count on and that you can do for yourself proactively is to stay creepy, stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Spirits Podcast. We also have all our episodes, collaborations, and guest appearances, plus merch on our website, spiritspodcast.com. Come on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff. Throw us as little as $1 and get access to audio extras, recipe cards, director's commentaries, and patron-only live streams. And hey, if you like the show, please share us with your friends. That is the best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. Bye.